Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach about days like today. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jimmy Kramer. Sometimes, look, the whole stock market, every stock gets pulverized. Days like today. Dow plunged 181 points. That's going to be 2.77%. NASDAQ nosedive 2.55%. Interesting that it was not as bad as the S&P. We've had yeah, a few of these really ugly markets in the last 22 years. And they're classic shakeouts. That's what I call them. Where you need to ask yourself if you can afford to take the pain or if you need to step aside. Now, see, in my experience, the only time it makes sense to step aside is when there's systemic risk, like 2008. Other than that, every time it made sense to raise some cash on any bounce, and then, and then you know, pounce on stocks and weakness. Ironically, if you got out when I said you should dodge about a 4,000-point decline from Dow 11,000, it made so much sense. And yet people were furious at me when the market came back, even as I told you to come back with it. Selling it all has been a real bad idea, even when it's been a good idea. Right now, we don't have that kind of systemic risk. The whole economy is in danger. The risk here is simply that the Fed doesn't do enough to quickly kill inflation, which everybody wants in the business world. The longer J-Pal waits before slamming the brakes on, the more days we'll have like today. He needs to move swiftly because these earnings reports are coming in way too hot, with tons of companies not being able to pass on price increases to their customers, others raising their prices like crazy, causing a ton of inflation, and many others that I think are just way too optimistic that cheap money's going to stay forever. So they're doing things they shouldn't do. That's why as we go to the game plan for next week, I want to highlight which companies are best set up for this moment, which ones could be in danger. My feeling is that after today's disaster, we're actually probably good for another beatdown or two before we settle into what I think will be a feeble midweek rebound, but deserving given how oversold we will be. Monday starts with the classic recession-resistant stock that I think you've got to keep on your radar screen if we open down badly Monday, and that's Coca-Cola. I'd be a buyer on weakness because Coke has tremendous pricing power. I'd say the same for PepsiCo on Tuesday, except we have to see what they say about the substantial Russian operations. But once they bite the bullet, I think you got a great buy. General Electric's getting one step closer to its breakup. So I'm only focused on how well its power division is holding up because that's the swing factor. That's the weakest of the three. Are they getting new orders from Russian-inspired energy crises? I hope so. 
All right, now, how about one of my old favorites, 3M, and its seemingly endless litigation moves? I hope they give us a rundown on the allegedly defective military earplug lawsuit and the groundwater issues so we don't get blindsided by those two incredibly important items that are dragging down the whole company. I expect the numbers to be pretty good otherwise, but don't jump until you read about both. Tuesday night is when it gets crazy. We have Microsoft, which should have terrific numbers from Windows 11 and Azure. It's cloud business, but, but it might not matter because the stock is expensive. Then we've got Alphabet, which people have turned on now because they think online advertising has stopped growing. I think they're wrong because Google's a special case. It's the share taker. Now, we get results from one of my favorite chains, Chipotle. I love it. But I'll warn you that this kind of high-flying growth stock can only be a trade in a rising interest rate environment. Plus, they might talk about the need to raise prices to offset uh, raising, rising labor and food costs. I mean, have you seen the price of avocados recently? Remember, traders will seize on anything negative right now because of the mindset of the market. So Chipotle might be worth buying on weakness as long as the Fed decides to kill inflation now. Probably not next week, but you never know when the Fed's going to wake up. Wednesday, we have T-Mobile in the morning. After Verizon's lackluster growth number this morning, it was really not a good quarter at all. And ATT's kind of decent showing the other day. I'm looking for T-Mobile to have its usual strong results. But again, it's a high multiple stock, so it probably won't matter. Drops at the open, then maybe you pick some up. Boeing reports, too. Now, we've all gotten used to Boeing being ugly, and I expect more ugly. The thing is, it should be the ultimate reopening trade, as all the airlines are short on planes. They need Boeing. Boeing needs help from the FAA on the Dreamliner. Now, you could argue they're being unfairly punched at this point, but given the recent track record, I get where the regulators are coming from. After the close, we hear from Meta Platforms, the artist formerly known as Facebook, which will say that, uh, what can I do? The stock's been cut in half. Now, I think that they'll miss the forecast. I think that they'll cut the, uh, cut both the forecast, miss the quarter, cut the forecast. But then they got to buy it. And I'm keeping some powder dry to do some buying for the charitable trust. If you you subscribe, you'll get the call before we do anything. Like many of these names I've mentioned, uh, I'll have extensive commentary on Facebook's quarter for the investing club. Now, you know, we've also been doing these things at 1020 for members only. We're going to spend a lot of time on Facebook because I think it might be a great opportunity. Now, Thursday morning, one that I've not talked about lately, Caterpillar reports. These guys should be picking up some large infrastructure orders and, I hope, some new oil and gas business. Hey, maybe even some coal orders. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has forced Germany to rethink its use of coal. I don't blame them. They replaced their coal plants with natural gas to get that natural gas from Russia. And they're effectively financing Putin's war effort. CSX said coal orders are coming back. Who knows? Between that and the elevated price of gold, which uses a lot of CAT equipment, then maybe they had a good quarter. When times get tough, the company usually shines is McDonald's. This time, though, it has some Russian exposure. Let's see what happens. If the stock comes down, then you should be buying this stock into a Fed-mandated slowdown. It's always been a great place to be. Oh, and then there's a little matter of Twitter. Have they been able to monetize direct ads or branding? Do they have new blocking actions, maybe keying on words you hate? Or is it just the same old, same old, hey, we'll get it, we'll get it right, we'll get it right? Because if there's nothing groundbreaking, i got to tell you, I think Elon Musk should lower his takeover bid. Make it what we call an exploding offer. He should go full corporate raider here and go after Twitter by any means necessary. Thursday night is brutal for me because we hear from both Amazon and Apple. It's like Andy Jassy and Tim Cook are conspiring to make my life miserable because, of course, as my wife says, it's all about me. 
Now, it's entirely possible by this point the market will be so oversold that these numbers could work. I think Amazon's meeting no resistance for any other retailer, but it's still a high multiple stock, which means it might not be able to put up much of a rally, even if the quarter is spectacular. The market hates high multiple stocks, and it hates companies that don't make money. Sadly, Apple's now a high multiple stock, too because Wall Street finally stopped treating it like a hardware company. The hope here is that they break out the average lifetime value, LTV, of their service customers, because I think the number will be very impressive. Remember, people don't switch from Apple. They've got tremendous brand loyalty. But, you know, think about it. We've got this lockdown in China. We've got a panic in Europe. So it's hard to imagine any upside from cell phones, especially when you keep hearing stories of inventory overhangs, like we heard the other day from Lam Research, the big semiconductor capital equipment company. Friday's all about oil. And I like oil. Here we're going to be talking about Exxon and Chevron. Exxon's now among the cheapest because it's no longer a consistent operator. As for Chevron, we own it big for the Travel Trust because we like oil and gas. And we're up very nicely. I expect good things, although some people are concerned about a pipeline they have that goes through Russia. Personally, I would love to see Chevron stock pull back so we can buy more with an even higher dividend yield. Bottom line, once again, I want to advise you that you need to take a little off the table into any of the bounces to prep you for the coming rate hikes. You can put a little money to work on days like today, as we did at the Travel Trust, but only if you have the money to begin with. Without some extra cash, days like today, pure torture. Let's go to Clarence in Connecticut, please. Clarence. Chill, man. It's Jimmy Chill. As an investing club member, I just want to let people know what a great value it is. Thank you. Ah, thank you. You know, we're just putting out. We did a really good thing after the close today. We did some, uh, Jeff Marks and I did uh, questions and answers about the sell-off. I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you. Oh, you bet. All right. Now, my company, uh, it doesn't pay a dividend, but it meets many of your other requirements. It has a low P.E., right around 11, I think, a billion-dollar share buyback program, and it makes a ton of money. It's been down big the last couple of days, so would United Rentals, URI, be a buy before next week's earnings? Okay, URI sells at 20 times earnings, but uh, 11 times this year's. People think that the numbers are going to be down next year. Um, here's the problem with URI, and I know I don't want to sound too negative, but their business is based on buying companies. And right now, no one's going to want their stock. So I think that stock has to go lower than the $23 that went down today. Let's go to Andy in Florida. Andy. Jim, long-time listener, thanks for all you do. Oh, thank you. I want you to join that club like our previous caller. What's up? Okay, so a couple weeks ago you recommended uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, I did my research on it. It's got a P.E. below 8. It's got good cash flow. It's five times cash flow. It's paying 1.8% dividend. But there's a huge short position against it. So... Is that something that we should be concerned about when we see a good stock that all the fundamentals you know, are great? If the balance sheet were bad and management were bad, I would say yes. I think this is a stock. I'm not ever encouraging a short squeeze. That's not how we make money on bad money. But I'm telling you that if they've done the work on this that I have and they still reach that conclusion they should be short, I think that they should be after a different kind of company. This is not the kind of company I would lay out on a big short. It's too smart. It's too well run. Let's go to Rhett in Kentucky, please. Rhett. Hi, Jim. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, thank first, you. First of all, thank you for teaching me through the years. It has allowed our family to have a lot of freedoms we otherwise wouldn't have. And that's what we want. It's going to be good in bad times. This is a bad time, but it will be good times. We have to stay in the game. Let's stay in the game together. What can we do? Let's stay. Hey, Jim, the question I have for you is during the pandemic, my son played this game nonstop. In fact, he asked for his money from his chores to be, play, to be paid with the online currency of this game. 
He likes it so much, he wants him and me to do an online YouTube channel of this together. Jim, Roblox is at a 52-week low today. Is okay. it worth investing? All right, here's the problem with Roblox. We have a genuine revulsion of everything that had anything to do with the pandemic. If it was inside, we don't like it. Secondly, if it's not making money, we despise it. So you get a very good company like Roblox. And I hear everything you say. And in another market where the Fed wouldn't be tightening, this stock would be up substantially. But here it is, losing a fortune after being in business for a very long time. It's all the way down to 34. It's got lots of uh, very important buyers, and it's not stopping. The stock is telling you, don't buy me. All right, I want you to be ready to take a little money off the table into any bounce. We should get a bounce by midweek next week. Uh, you can put a little money to work on days like today, but only if you have it first. On Mad Tonight, Dan, her reporter, strong quarter, saying no one cares. Uh, we had a caller on it, so we're going to go back and talk about the bullish thesis. Then, I, then last week, we got the second largest IPO of the year. No one paid any attention to it. What do you make of Accelerate Energy? I'm thinking to an LNG transportation play that's perfect for this moment. And today's tape is the, is the absolute best reminder that you need to stay diversified so we can play MI Diversified to be a little bit on the defense here. See if your portfolio passes the test. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So I got this call last night from Doug in Ohio. Hey, you want to know about Danner, big life sciences and medical technology conglomerate? This is a stock I like so much, we own it for the Travel Trust and followed by joining the CNBC Investing Club. In fact, we talked about it yesterday morning as part of our 1020 morning meeting, and that's only available for subscribers. See, yesterday morning, Danner had reported a truly remarkable quarter. But because the broader stock market rolled over and ended up closing down, nearly, the stock closed down nearly 1%. Then today, it tumbled another 5%. Not because there was anything wrong. The quarter was fantastic. Just the market turned really ugly. So I told Doug in Ohio that Dan Eric could go higher thanks to its tremendous 12% organic growth rate. That is probably about the best growth rate I have seen in this quarter. And that's why we bought some more for the Travel Trust yesterday. But I feel like I didn't do it justice. So I just wanted to circle back, go into more depth, because Dan is a tremendous business and Doug deserves better. 
I think that actually this one's suited for this moment. You need to understand, there are very few companies that experts regularly compare to Berkshire Hathaway, and Danaher is one of them. It used to be a more diversified manufacturer, but in recent years, it spun off all sorts of ancillary businesses that were slow and, or cyclical in order to focus on something that is secular, and that's called life science and medical technology. These days, Danner makes various types of complicated, big-ticket medical machinery, as well as consumables, both for drug research and diagnostics. They are the envy of the industry. Over the past five years, it's been a huge outperformer, rallying more than 220%, S&P up only 80% during the same period. However, Danner's stock peaked last fall. It started rolling over in the new year, along with its life science peers that I talk about a lot, including uh, Perkin Elmer and Thermo Fisher, TMO, which you know I like very much. Now, some of that's punishment for the fact that Danner wasn't exactly cheap. At the end of last year, Danner traded 32 times earnings, and we know Wall Street has become far less hospitable towards stocks with relatively high price-to-earnings multiples. But mostly I think Danner's pulled back because it's seen as a COVID beneficiary. They did get a big revenue boost from their COVID testing business, plus they were selling lots of equipment and consumables to companies that were developing various vaccines and treatments. I think that represents actually a profound misunderstanding of Danner and its business. But now that the stock's pulled back from 334 to 264, I think you're getting a really good buying opportunity to get started if you don't own it, especially given the fact that that last quarter, which, as I said, was fantastic, you're now getting what I call for free. Speaking of the quarter, it's insane that the stock hasn't been able to rally in these numbers. Not only did Danner post a substantial top and bottom line beat, they also racked up this 12% organic growth that I mentioned. Even when you back out their gains from COVID testing, they would have 8% organic growth, which is excellent for a large cap manufacturer. This stock has been weighed down by post-COVID worries and also a fear of weak demand and supply chain disruptions from China, where they do a lot of business, given those massive lockdowns. But you need to know that Danner gets three-quarters of its sales from consumables. That's equipment that needs to be replenished as customers use their machines. Think of it as a razor razor blade model. Meanwhile, all sorts of non-urgent medical procedures are making a huge comeback now that the most of the world is in the post-pandemic mode. So for the full year, management's forecasting high single-digit organic revenue growth, which when you exclude the COVID testing business. Even with the lockdowns in China, Danner left their full-year guidance unchanged, which tells you they're very confident in the state of their business. When you drill down, it's easy to understand where that confidence is coming from. Danner's life science division is on fire. They called out tremendous strength in bioprocessing, and they're seeing strong levels of activity in all major end markets for their medical instruments business. At the same time, the diagnostics division is firing on all cylinders, with the exception of China, where they've taken a hit from lockdowns, something they expect to continue in the current quarter. Isn't that logical? You love companies who do business in China, but right now you're suffering for that. So here's what I say. While Danner has been slanderous as a COVID winner, the truth is I think the stock will do much better as we put COVID in the rearview mirror. Sure, their earnings have jumped from $4 per share in 2019 to just over 10 per share last year. And the growth is expected to slow this year because of COVID. But even with that, nobody's expecting the earnings to come down. Plus, once Danner finishes lapping the peak in COVID testing, its earnings growth should accelerate again. Granted, some of the testing sales will go away. But the end of the pandemic also means that many of Danner's customers can restart the programs that they had to put on pause or deprioritize when everybody was focused on COVID. Now, I expect to see a lot of investments in mRNA treatments. You know, you, know that's, you should be thinking about that as being what Pfizer had, right? I mean, they had mRNA, which is very good. Moderna, same thing. As well as cell and gene therapies. That's pretty secular growth. That's where drug companies need Danner's equipment to conduct cutting-edge research. One more pandemic-related point. It's not like Danner's testing business will 
totally vanish. COVID is here to stay. It's becoming an endemic disease that will be stuck with for the foreseeable future. So we're going to need COVID tests for a long time to come. That's one reason Danner's COVID testing business came in better than expected in the first quarter. Because the company's now got a four-in-one test for COVID, two strains of the flu and RSV. Those more expensive tests are flying off the shelves right here, right now. Thanks to its strong core business, Danner has been printing money over the last couple of years to the point where the relatively clean balance sheet gives them a lot of room to make acquisitions, and they know how to acquire. That brings us to the best part of the Danaher story. It's a consummate deal maker. They've got their own method, the Danaher business system. That allows them to buy other business and then instantly improve them. They have done this successfully for decades. Quick example. Last summer, Danner bought a company called Aldevron, okay? And this is a maker of plasma DNA, mRNA, and proteins for the life science industry. Yesterday, we found out this division delivered 40% growth in the first quarter. They did the same remarkable work with General Electric's biopharma business, which they bought for $21 billion in March of 2020. That was an incredibly savvy deal, as GE desperately needed to raise money, and the biopharma business was a perfect fit for Danaher. Okay. There's also been some speculation that these guys might sell off the remaining non-core businesses, like the water quality division. I think that's a good way to unlock value, especially since it would give Danner more firepower to buy up healthcare-related businesses, which I like, and to slow down the economy. Or maybe they could use the money to buy back stock, given that this stock has finally actually gotten cheap. Hey, speaking of cheapest, Danner now trades at 25 times earnings, which is cheaper than any time it's been since this, the crash of 2020. Historically, this thing tends to sell 29 times earnings. So as it goes down, it's going to get cheaper, which is, you know, how I like to buy them. The bottom line, Danner's a great American company, the stock that was trading at 280 before it reported that fantastic quarter yesterday morning. Even though the quarter was really good, the stock's now at 265 because the stock market's so bad. You're not just getting the quarter for free. You're getting it for less than nothing. Danner is a gift horse down here. Don't look it in the mouth. Just take it. But leave room as this horrible market is creating tremendous buying opportunities, but only on the way down. Get money's back in the break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What a ride this month has been all April, all along. CNBC has been celebrating Financial Literacy Month. As longtime crime Americans know, I'm always encouraging you to be your own money manager, to take control of your own finances and create the financial future you want for yourselves and your loved ones. I wish I could be with you, but, well, can't be there with you every minute. I need you to be really good at this. Being financially literate is especially important in difficult markets like this one, where so many stocks are in free fall. I always tell home gamers to protect their portfolios against volatility through having some cash and diversifying. And that's why tonight we're playing Am I Diversified? You tell me five of your holdings. I tell you maybe you need to mix it up because some sectors, like if you were in healthcare today, you got obliterated. 
but maybe you didn't know you had all health care. So let's start with Michael in Florida. Michael, you're our first caller. What have you they got? Big apple booyah to you, Jim. I like that. I've called in before when AMD was a trader's stock trading in a channel of 7 to $9. Look at them now. Anyway, my top holdings are AMD, Ford, AT&T, Vodafone, and NVIDIA. Am I diversified? Well, here we go. Let's get right to it. This is a little bit what I'm talking about. Now, this gentleman has obviously had a great history. He got AMD at a very low price. AMD is up, up, up. Then it's come back down. Now, Vodafone and ATT, take your pick. Vodafone and ATT, I'm going to take my pick, and I'm going to say neither. I didn't like the ATT quarter. I don't care for the Vodafone quarter. But obviously, you're looking for yield. I'm actually going to sub an oil company for that. I'm going to say that you should be in Chevron. Uh, why didn't I say T-Mobile? Because obviously, he wants yield, and I don't want to give him growth. Uh, NVIDIA has got to come down. Why? Because they're spreading a lot of rumors about how there's too many cards in the system. We're talking about graphic cards, but I don't want to sell NVIDIA. AMD and NVIDIA, as I know too well from my travel trust, trade almost exactly together. This is one where it's going to be very difficult to own them both going forward. Uh, I, these are a slaughter your pearl, pearl, pearl situation because they're both terrific. But I'm going to let this fellow, because he's so good, pick one or the other to keep, okay? AMD is cheaper than NVIDIA. Ford reports this week, and I think Ford is going to be fine. It's got a yield. It's doing well. Its biggest problem is it can't find enough batteries. So right now, no, you've got two tech and two phone. That's difficult. I want to shake things up, and I want them to shake up. And by the way, this should be a healthcare stock. If you, either one of these goes, it should be a healthcare stock that you replace it with. And may I suggest that you buy one that is already reported that is got down today, even though it shouldn't have, which is United Healthcare. And that's my suggestions. All right, let's go to Tony. I, this, it's a very hard game to play when everything's down. You got to be a little bit more rigor than I can show, and certainly can't be glib. So I'm going to go right now to Tony in California. Tony. Hello, Jim, and the Kramer Nation. This is Tony from Northern California. Let's play. Am I diversified? So number one, I have Chevron Oil. Two, Google or Alphabet. Three, Nvidia. I have Costco, and Lilly Pharmaceutical. Love the show. Keep it going. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, so now, again, we see a lot of names from my travel trust, but the cluster, the travel trust owns all sorts of different names in all sorts of different sectors. Can't be too clustered, even though you see certain ones that are very, very hot. You're going to keep hearing NVIDIA, and NVIDIA is because it's been one of my greatest picks, but I'm not emphasizing NVIDIA right now it, it, because there's a lot of rumors that it's going to be hurt by a slowdown in gaming. I think that once we see the quarter, that will all be cleared up, but between now and the quarter, you're going to have to endure some pain. If you can take pain, you should own NVIDIA. We've owned it for years, but we've had to be seasoned pain takers. Costco, uh, America's greatest retailer, fantastic gross margins, doing very well. Great place to shop during a slowdown in the economy. Um, Alphabet, I think, is going to have a good quarter. Sells at about 16 times earnings if you back out about the $120 billion in cash. Eli Lilly reports this week. Now, Eli Lilly is a key holding for, uh, for my travel trust because of a diabetes drug that also causes you to lose weight. Not for the anti-Alzheimer's drug. That is a 2024 proposition. And Chevron has just got that great yield and they'll buy back 25% of the stock. So we got an oil, a great retailer, we have a great tech, we have a good drug stock, and we're going to take some pain owning NVIDIA. 
Remember, taking pain is often the biggest way to make money. Do you know how much pain I've taken in Apple, in AMD, how much pain I've taken in NVIDIA? The answer is almost unlimited pain because that's how you make the most money, not flitting in and out. Let's go to Dino in Michigan. Dino. Hey, Jim. This is uh, Dino from Michigan, and I just want to know if I am diversified. My top five stocks are NVIDIA, C-Limited, The Trade Desk, Morgan Stanley, and Abby V. Thanks, Jim, for all your hard work. I appreciate it. Okay. Again, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I, I am going to risk repeating myself. Taking pain, NVIDIA, okay? That's what we do. We take pain. You don't name your dog after, you know, NVIDIA, right? Because you think that you're going to flit in and out. I did cut some of my position in NVIDIA for my travel trust, but I have a nice size position with a very good basis. So we'll take pain and tech. Now, the C debt, I do not agree with owning C. I think it's now over the hump and it's going to come back down. Uh, but it, it, it's a stock that is from Singapore. I have not trusted the financials. We're going to say no to that. We're just going to say no. Morgan Stanley had the, the, one of the best quarters in the banks. Yields 3%, buying back a lot of stock. I think I'm absolutely fine with that. Abvi, the yield has got – we sold some this week. The stock has gotten too high. They report this week. Not sure exactly what they're going to say, but I do think that the stock can come down maybe to where it can yield four and change, and you'll feel better about it. Trade Desk is too high a multiple, and Trade Desk is like NVIDIA. These are like each other. They're high multiple stocks. I would like to see something a little bit more down to earth. Why not a Coca-Cola? The report Monday, okay? Coca-Cola could be down a buck and a half, maybe not more than that, and James Quincy's doing a good job. I want to see less volatility in this portfolio. It's got too much volatility, too many stocks trading together with wild and crazy methods. We don't want that. Proctor, right here. We're putting Proctor and Gamble right here. Doing that. Now, remember, this is now, we're doing triage. This is emergency room MI diversified. This is not elective surgery. Thank you for playing. We have money back here for the happened last week, and I'm not talking about Elon Musk's attempt to buy Twitter. I'm referring to the fact that we finally got a decent IPO. So far this year, the IPO market has been dead as a doornail. When you strip out the new SPAC offerings, there have only been 34 deals since the beginning of 2022, and almost all of those were really tiny. In contrast, there were times last week when we were seeing 20 deals per week, and many of us were very big. But when the Fed declared war on inflation last November, Wall Street's appetite for new deals just evaporated. Money managers know that fast-growing startups with no earnings tend to be real dogs when the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates aggressively. So the demand for these IPOs dried up practically overnight. We could use some alacrity to the the rate hikes here. Jeez, they're taking too long. Now, uh, this one, that's why we've only really had $1 billion-plus offering in 2022. It was not a bad one. It was the $1.1 billion IPO of TPG. That's a very bunch of smart guys at private equity firm. It's mid-January. TPG came public at $29.50. It's now $26 and change because the last few months have not been great to invest in the alternative asset management business, although those guys are as good as they get. Now, in fact, of the 34 deals we've had so far this year, 27 of them raised $100 million or less too low to talk about on this show. Mostly small biotech names that don't seem particularly compelling. 
Of the remaining seven deals, five were for less than $250 million. Again, not, too big, not big enough to talk about the show. And they were pretty uninteresting. But then last week, we got the second largest IPO of the year. When an alpha called Accelerate Energy came public in an incredibly timely deal. This is a liquefied natural gas LNG transportation play at a time when the rest of the world is desperate to import liquefied natural gas from the United States. Europe, in particular, is hostage to Russian natural gas, and these governments don't love bankrolling Vladimir Putin's psychotic war of aggression in Ukraine. So the demand for anything related to liquefied natural gas to get it to Europe to replace Russia is suddenly off the charts. Now, here's what really caught my attention with Accelerate, though. After months of tepid demand for IPOs, Accelerate was set to raise $384 million, but they had to upsize the deal to $441 million because the underwriters fully exercised their option to purchase additional shares, and there was just tons of demand. Yes, actual demand. Demand for this thing, and for good reason. Even as the stock has pulled back hard over the last few days, now I think you're getting the opportunity, and I'm going to tell you why. First, like I already explained, the world desperately needs liquefied natural gas infrastructure. We have a massive quantity of nat gas in this country and in some other places like Australia and Middle East. But the only way to transport it is very expensive. You've got to freeze it, uh, in, it down into a more compact liquid, okay, which takes a lot of expensive equipment because you've got to put it on a boat. Then once you get it on the other side of the ocean, you need to convert it back into a gas, which you can then uh, move via pipeline. It's pretty genius. So where does Accelerate fit in the liquefied natural gas food chain? They have floating ship-based liquefied natural gas terminals that can sail to where they're needed. Right now, the company has a fleet of 10 floating storage and regasification units. These are ships that transform liquefied natural gas back into regular natural gas. That's the end of the trip. Accelerate is also in the process of expanding into more natural gas transportation business. Part of the idea here is that they can set up shop in areas that lack developed energy infrastructure then dominate those markets. For example, Accelerate currently provides as much as 15% of Pakistan's daily natural gas. Their products in Bangladesh have increased the country's nat gas supply by 20 to 30%. Plus, by sticking their terminals on huge ships, they can often avoid many of the regulatory hassles that make it so difficult to build LNG infrastructure. Basically, Accelerate makes it much easier for liquefied natural gas producers to get their product to market. And they're a proven leader in the LNG industry with a seasoned management team. How about the financials? I, I got to tell you, the numbers are pretty good. Last year, Accelerate posted some spectacular 106% revenue growth, although a lot of that has to do with the decision they made in 2020 to pursue long-term supply contracts rather than chasing short-term contracts. More important, Accelerate's got terrific margins. Their EBITDA margin came in at 29.5% last year. I think the EBITDA margin is the right one to watch because it's a very capital-intensive business. So it's important to back out the financial hit they take from the on-paper depreciation of their floating LNG terminals. And look, unlike most of last year's IPOs, Accelerate's it's profitable. It's racked up nearly $42 million in net income last year. Remember when I told you companies have to make money to pass my litmus test now. As for the balance sheet, the company's got $432 million in debt, but they also have $439 million in cash and equivalents after all the money they raised from the IPO. Plus, it's not like Accelerate's burning money. They generated $105 million in free cash flow last year. So what else do you need to know about this one? Well, one downside here is that Accelerate Energy is what's known as a controlled company. The founder, oil and gas billionaire George Kaiser, controls the business through his B shares, which gives him 77% of the voting power. That's not great because it makes it much harder for, say, an activist to come in and shake things up. There's not going to be any pressure on Kaiser. Then again, Kaiser's an excellent business person. And he didn't sell any of his shares in the IPO, which I thought was amazing, and demonstrates giant confidence in the enterprise. 
I think you're in good hands. Second issue, Accelerate's not a direct play on U.S. liquefied natural gas exports, and I don't want to claim that it is. Their floating terminals facilitate the import of natural gas. They're on the other side, the other end of the supply chain. However, as more and more countries strike deals to buy American natural gas, they're going to need infrastructure to unload those shipments. And that's where Accelerate comes in. For example, they've got a big presence in Brazil, and much of Brazil's liquefied natural gas comes from the United States. Perhaps more important, there are only 46 of these floating storage and regasification ships on Earth. And Accelerate owns 10 of them. As demand for these specialized uh, ships grow, and it will, I have to believe that they'll be able to charge higher prices for their services. What matters here is that these ships can set you up to import liquefied natural gas within a matter of months. That's why demand for these ships is skyrocketing in Europe. Just last week, Finland and Estonia announced that they'd be jointly renting one of these floating terminals, precisely because it's too dangerous for them to keep relying on natural gas, of course, from Russia. Now, Accelerate came public at $24 last week, high end of the price range. Stock quickly spiked to $29.20. But since then, it's pulled back hard. It's down to $24 and change. Well, because the market's so hideous. Probably it doesn't help that natural gas prices came down hard this week, even though Accelerate doesn't actually have much, much direct exposure to the commodity itself. You know what? This is a really good company. It went through the uh, IPO shoot at a very tough time, which means it's really pretty uh, much. I think, well, look, let's just say it makes it a bargain. The stock's a bit cheaper than Chenier Energy, which is the king of LNG exports here in the U.S., at least when you judge them based on last year's earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. That's that EBITDA figure I mentioned, because we don't have forward estimates yet for Accelerate. Valuation seems reasonable to me, though. The bottom line, if we looked at all these companies, we looked at like dozens of companies. This is it. If you're looking for a way to participate in the, look, in the rise of liquefied natural gas, which you should, I think Accelerate Energy is a great way to play it, especially now that the stock has pulled back from its highs. Let's talk to Ben in Tennessee. Ben. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Ben. What's up? Hey, um, first time and uh, short time investor, but I wanted to ask you about Sweetgreen uh, SG. It's the uh, newish IPO that I follow. Um, and uh, I just wanted to see your, um, your take on this. A couple, guys, of from, a couple that, guys from Georgetown. Now, here's, a, here's the situation. There was a time when I would have said, this is the one you want to own. But you see, it doesn't make money. And when a company doesn't make money, no mad money, while the Fed's tightening, then I don't care. And I've, by the way, I like sweet green. I like chopped tea, too. Or, you know, it's mixed tea. I don't know, one of those. But sweet green is too expensive, and it loses money. So, therefore, it's a sell, 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 sell. How about Jason in Illinois, please? Jason. Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah. Hey, um, rumor had it this company was supposed to be the next Tesla. However, they're down about 23% the last month. What are your thoughts on Rivian? I think that Ford Motor has to sell its big stake in Rivian in order to be able to build its own factories. I think that's probably going to happen within the next month. And if you really love Rivian, then you can buy. I do believe that Amazon will buy everyone that Rivian has. But you know what? Rivian is something that does not endear it to me. And that is that it loses money. I'm not changing my rules. Since the Fed switched in November, I adopted a new criteria and recommended sale of a whole bunch of companies, and I'm not going back. The losing money companies, they don't work here in Kramer. Finally, a decent IPO. I think Accelerate Energy is a great way to play the rise of LNG, which is rising, believe me. And if you don't, read Rusty Brazil's newsletter, you know it is. I think you're getting a good opportunity to buy the stock down here. But remember, in this market, we buy first, and then we may have to buy again and again. 
much more mad money ahead. On the crazy day for the averages, don't panic. We're going to navigate it together. We always do, right? Then investors are hoping that J-PAL is looking for a soft landing and a smooth landing. But sometimes a soft landing is not what you might expect. And I've been in one. I'm evaluating the Fed's plans and giving you my take. Then the Dow had its worst day since 2020. The Nasdaq's having its worst month since 2008. So we got to do a special edition of the lightning round here to help Americans navigate the selling and answer your most burning stock questions. So stay with Kramer. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep that. The lightning round is over. Daniel in Tennessee. Daniel. Jimmy Chill. Yo, yo. I, I do protect my shirt, Jim. So enjoy David Carl and you in the morning. Isn't that a great show? I, I told David to shut up today. Yeah, come <laughs> I want to thank you for bringing empathy, compassion, and humility to a hardball game while educating us. Thank you. In a tough market, I admit, I'm not telling you it's not, but thank you for those kind words. Lay some foam down on the runway for me, Jim, on this one. <laughs> I, with with headwinds on the long-term supply chain constraints, recovering from an unrefunded pension and financial reporting issues, can this small cap return to its glory days? It's got a nice dividend. My stock is T.G. Trediger. Well, I remember when they, you know, Trediger was actually, you know, a, an armory. Uh, in Civil War. I, I remember when they came public, I was involved in the deal. I thought it was terrific then. I think it's terrific now. It's a very basic extrusion company packaging. All the all the right stuff. I think you should own it. Let's go to Anthony in Massachusetts. Anthony. Hi, Jim. Anthony. Uh, my, my question's on Bosch Health. All right. Now, uh, people are saying, Jim, why'd you buy the Bosch uh, for the Chapel Trust? Very simple. Because Joe Papa's going to split into three companies. I happen to like all three companies. I think it's going to work, but right now he can't do a deal because the market's so bad. But I'm sticking with Joe. Joe's a moneymaker. Let's go to Steve in Tennessee. Steve. Yes. Uh, I am interested in what you would think about diodes, ink, uh, mix. Very inexpensive semiconductor company, and the semiconductor stocks are hated right now. I think you have to wait to one of the semis. The big guys really does poorly, and then you can buy this, but not until then. We need to shake out some of the weak hands in the semis. Jules in Florida. Jules. Hey, Jim. Hoorah. That's booyah. In the Marines. Thank you for serving. What's up? Okay, I, my question is about Warner Brothers, which I received as a spinoff. Right. And I wonder, I'm wondering what to do with it. I, I think you're going to take I think you just, I mean, there is just literally, this is a situation where this says everything. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, there's no reason to be alarmed. But can anyone on board fly a plane? Kramer on Powell, the Fed, and the turbulence ahead. Next. Come on, Jay. Just tighten already. Let's get this thing done before this gets really horrible. The longer we drag this out, the less likely it is we get a soft landing, and more likely we get... Now, you hear that phrase soft landing a lot, but what exactly does a soft landing look like? Let me put it this way. Many years ago, I had a flight coming back from a CNBC event in Richmond, Virginia, where the plane was struck by lightning. We plummeted, the lights went out, and then we stabilized. But the plane was dark, and the landing gear, we 
were told, would not unfold. Now, of course, I was typing away, writing a piece for my old publication. A flight attendant said, came over and said, please stop. Everybody was praying, and I was disturbing them. I said I had full confidence that the pilot would find a way to land the plane without a crash. I didn't want to file late because I'm just that kind of guy. Sure enough, when we got to Newark Airport, the runways foamed and ready. We hit the tarmac sans landing gear, and we bounce, bounce high, with so many overhead bins opening that unless you were huddled in your seat, you got hit on the head. Then we bounced again, more overheads, but a softer bounce. Finally, we had a third anemic bounce, and the airplane stopped just short of the end of the runway. A giant cheer came up, louder than I've ever heard on a plane, and the pilot deserved it. He saved our lives. Some people think that a soft landing is a smooth landing. Not so. It's more like what I just described. Three terrifying bounces and then a rest. So you can live the play again. How does the Federal Reserve engineer a soft landing for the economy? They need to do exactly what the U.S. air pilot did before landing. Use up all the jet fuel to make it less dangerous. That's why I want Jay to hit the brakes hard now. I'm not talking about 50 on the table. We have way too much residual fuel in this economy. It needs to be used up quickly. You do that by raising interest rates. If I were Jay Powell, I would have put through the first 50 basis points double rate hike. I would do it on Monday, although I would have preferred a 75 basis point triple rate hike this week. Except Jay's dowling. The Fed needs to swiftly dump the fuel, by which I mean slow the pace of inflation. There's just too much strength in this economy. With a series of aggressive rate hikes, we'll see a pause in home buying and car buying. It's not a disaster, just a pause, as credit becomes more expensive. Housing's vital for the economy. We've got no supply of housing. There's a shortage in pretty much everything that goes into a home, too. That will change with much higher mortgage rates, making homes less affordable. How about the lack of semiconductors that's making cars so expensive? Not a problem when auto financing gets too expensive and buyers vanish. Right now, we have tons of shortages and very few surpluses. We need to change that, which is what the Fed can do by tightening aggressively. A slowdown in housing will impact retail to the point where those supply chain problems will also become a thing of the past. Then the first bounce in the soft landing. Suppliers who thought they'd be able to raise prices as far as the eye can see, and many of them hoarded inventory, can see that demand destruction occurring. That, the bounce there means they want to dump their inventory rapidly. Second bounce, price cuts in order to move the inventory, just like sales at a store. Actual price cuts that people keep telling me can't happen. Third and final bounce, the layoffs start. Poor congestion goes away. Supply chains can function normally because they're no longer overstretched. Hiring becomes much easier. And then a new, more orderly cycle starts. The plane stops right at the end of the tarmac. Now, it's not easy, especially on the stock market, because each new bump brings estimate cuts, and those estimate cuts breed lower stock prices, just like we saw in today's session. But like me typing away on that possibly crashing plane furiously, you must be prepared for the plane to stop. You need to raise cash for the third and final bounce, not for when the plane stops itself and the momentum's gone, because by that point, the stock market will have already bottomed and started to go up. So I think we'll get through this, but you need to stay disciplined, put on that oxygen mask, and stay in your seat so the luggage falling from the overhead bins doesn't whack you in the head. That means having a hefty cash position, sticking with profitable companies that make stuff, return capital to shareholders, and own reasonably priced stocks of companies that make things so that you, the shareholder, can make money. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.